under your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Whoa, is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Hello and welcome to the program. You're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. If you would like, please go to our Facebook page. Simply type in on Facebook the Joey Clark Radio Hour so you can keep tabs on what we're doing today, tomorrow, the weeks and months ahead. And it's hard to believe that 2017 is almost over. Heading into Halloween. Now, I had a little too much fun Saturday night. Really, it wasn't fun. But you hate that feeling when you wake up the next morning and say, what happened? It's something that hasn't happened to me in, well, a while. But these past two weekends with my high school reunion, with Halloween, getting caught up in the festivities, I don't remember some of the night. And it worries me. It's a big reason why... I now am very shy about drinking, especially hard liquors. But it's that feeling of, did I do something wrong? And no, really you didn't, but you may have. That you aren't yourself. That's a terrible position to be in. That you, without even being conscious, could do something terrible to somebody. And in these times... What if that something's caught on camera? It's broadcast to the entire world. Maybe to just your local town or to the whole country. Occasionally videos go global. You know, for all the wisdom surrounding the will of the people, for all the improvements we have made, or like to think we have made from... Styles of government and society that came before us. Sometimes I wonder that we're heading into a place that we have no clue what the outcome is going to be. And many of our transgressions through the years, transgressions we did in the dark come to light. Of course, this is the case with Harvey Weinstein. This is the case we found out this weekend with Kevin Spacey. This is the case with Paul Manafort. So there are days where I wonder why would I ever want fame or ridiculous amounts of money? How much is enough? When you wake up in the morning, what is it that you're seeking? Sex, drugs, and rock and roll? Money, power, fame, notoriety, glory. Are you trying to be popular in the eyes of the public? Makes me think of a song. Off the, I believe, the last album 
his royal badness Prince ever put out. When life's a stage in this brand new age, how do we engage? When we're always performing for one another, whether on social media, in our daily lives, it's amazing how many different masks people wear and how quick people are to characterize somebody. You know, one of my favorite quotes of all time is, the truth is rarely pure and never simple. And I worry that right now when I watch our society, when I watch whether it's the political news cycle or all the transgressions now coming to light having to do with Hollywood, that yes, these people that have done wrong whether in their personal lives or their political lives, and really, what's the difference between the personal and the political? Oh, it's just business. It's just politics. Those are excuses for bad behavior. But as I see all these transgressions coming to light, I wonder how many people are actually taking them seriously. Or to put it another way, how many people are looking at these transgressions And saying, yeah, what an evil SOB. What a terrible person. Shame them. Lock them up. Throw away the key. And no doubt sometimes justice does need to be done. But I've found myself wondering, what happens when I get on the other side of the mob? The people make mistakes. And luckily, when I look back on my own life, I don't think I've made any mistakes that are unredeemable, that are embarrassing, but not necessarily damning. But then I saw this new episode of Seth MacFarlane's The Orville. Essentially, it's like Star Trek, but it's a bit of a send-up. Of Star Trek. It's more lighthearted. And in the latest episode, they have to go do a reconnaissance mission for two anthropologists that have been lost on this planet, similar to 21st century Earth. Similar to 21st century Earth, but a little different. An extreme version of what we have today. Where the will of the majority rules all day, every day. There is one main feed that everybody watches. There's not multiple channels, there's one feed. And everybody in this society wears a badge. As a button where you can upvote, a button where you can downvote. Essentially, it's a society, much like the society we see today, but imagine that... Twitter or Reddit or upvotes or downvotes on YouTube. That was all justice meant. In this fictional society, this planet they visit, essentially the rule is whatever the people want, whatever the majority wants. And that if you do something very unpopular, if somebody catches you on video, 
and all these down votes start happening and you reach more than a million down votes, you're arrested for your unpopular actions. Then you get a chance to go on an apology tour. This talk show, that chat show. To profess how sorry you are. And please, find it in your hearts to forgive me. But if the people find what you did was so terrible, they can keep downvoting you until you get more than 10 million downvotes. Then you are corrected. Essentially lobotomized. I was watching this episode of the Orville, and for those who haven't seen the show, please check it out. I hope this show stays on television, though Fox is known to cancel Seth MacFarlane. But when I see things about people I barely know on social media, I don't want to be skeptical. I want to be compassionate to victims. I want to be able to sympathize and empathize with those who have been harmed in this world. But I also realize when I look on all these screens around me, that it's, well... The truth is never simple and rarely pure. And the best we can do is ask for forgiveness for the things we have done that we know are wrong. We need to be very skeptical of the mob mentality now taking over our society. We don't need to become a society governed like American Idol or The Voice. Where it is simply the will of the majority, the will of the people, or the yelling and screams of some mob that this or that thing is unpopular. If that becomes justice in our society, then I doubt there will be justice. It was a mob that put Socrates to death for asking unpopular questions. It was a mob that put Jesus to death for saying unpopular things and asking unpopular questions. Throughout history, it is the mob that has sat at the gallows and cheered Believing the authorities that this person or that person is guilty. And the mob believes them because, well, yeah, there are a lot of bad, no damn good people in this world. And they do terrible things. But as I woke up yesterday morning in my stupor, several hours deleted from my brain... Asking questions, did I do anything terrible? Not really, but I feel terrible and I still feel guilty. Well, we put on a movie, Gangs of New York. Well, of course, the first thing I think watching this movie is, well, there's Miramax. Another Harvey Weinstein production. I'm wondering, can even though we know these gross things done by Harvey Weinstein, the abuse of his power against people. Can I enjoy a movie he helped finance, he helped produce, he helped put together? Well, yes. 
I think I can. Of course, the movie opens with essentially a big gang fight. Liam Neeson leading the Irish on one side. Daniel Day-Lewis playing Bill Cutting, Bill the Butcher on the other side, leading the natives of New York. And the battle ensues. Neeson is stabbed. His character's name is Priest Valen, I believe. He's stabbed to death as his son watches. Now, I don't want to give away the rest of the movie, but the son grows up. And he's going to seek revenge. But what that movie brings to the light of day is not so much battle that has been going on time immemorial between this or that group, whether it's because you live in a certain neighborhood, or you look a certain way, or you come from a certain culture, that's been going on for some time. But there was this interesting moment in the movie that made me think about all the investigations going on, all the appeals to the rule of law. And to the will of the people. The line is, we must keep the appearance of the law intact. That we know, of course, the police department is corrupt. We know the politicians are corrupt. We know our business owners are corrupt. We know where the corruption is, but we have to occasionally keep the appearance of the law just to keep this fragile, corrupt thing together. And really, it's a catch-22 situation. Because if you fail to keep up appearances, to wear the right mask in front of the right company, things can go to hell. If everybody's secrets are in the light of day, who would be free to cast the first stone? But it's a catch-22 because, yes, if you don't keep up the lie, keep up the appearance of propriety, Things could go to hell, but if you continue with the lie, and continue with the lie, and continue, eventually people realize it's all for nothing. It's all been a big lie. It's always been corrupt. And we're getting the short end of the stick. You know, there's often talk of hatred in our society. That this group hates that group. Republicans hate Democrats. Democrats hate Republicans. The establishment hates the populists. The capitalist class hate the working class. The whites hate the blacks. The blacks hate the whites. Really, the whites hate everybody. Japanese hate Chinese. Chinese don't like the Japanese. And the Koreans are somewhere in between. 
Or in the case of watching the gangs of New York, the natives don't like the Irish. All these groups looking for vengeance and justice. But that's not what's driving our politics today. At least not for most people. It reminds me of something my dad said to me. It had to be four years ago now. Joey, you should write something on the politics of resentment. Now, Dad, what do you mean? He's like, well, look at what Al Sharpton's doing. Look at the left and their provocateur stirring up people to think they have it bad. And then I watched 2016, 2015 come and go. I've watched 2017 fly right by my eyes. And certainly my ears and I can't help but say, and I said it to my dad at the time, several years ago, well, sure, I'll write something. I'll talk about the politics of resentment. But it's on all sides. And I have been struggling with this. Why has everybody become so resentful of one another? You would think the only thing holding together our society is upholding the appearance of the law. Without any actual fealty to the law. I am baffled without naming any names because I've seen it up close and personal in my own life. What good is a promise anymore these days? For instance, a marriage. I am very single. And I've seen some marriages where people should get a divorce. But there is a part of me that is very sad to see it so pervasive. For those who have been listening to me over the last few weeks, you know it's not coming from, I'm not thumping my Bible. Not saying, oh, it should be like it used to be. But it does seem like there's something wrong where we can't keep our most basic promises. And in my more cynical moments, I think maybe it's all just a big act. We pretend to be good people. We pretend to uphold the law. We pretend to be free, to be brave. But in reality, we are very scared of what we are becoming. Because what we are becoming is not anywhere near close to free. And instead of looking internally, when we see somebody out in the public arena having their transgressions aired, Yes, of course, that's a bad guy. Of course, what he or she did should not stand. 
But when I see that, I think, how am I personally changing that? How can I not let that happen myself? So why are we so resentful? Why are we so quick to pounce on this or that, the next story? Why this mob mentality? Because for all the talk of consent of the governed, the will of the people, for all the lip service given to our liberties as found in the Bill of Rights, and empty praise given to our traditions, I worry at the end of the day, the reason we are so resentful is because the naked truth, the very complicated but oh-so-pure truth, is that we are only being held together by a common love of power. And that we hate to see these folks we know are wicked, who have transgressed, who have done terrible things, find success. That's what's driving our resentment. Not just our simple disgust at what they did being wrong, but that that person who did something so wrong has now gone on to gain so much wealth and power. Whether it's Harvey Weinstein or Kevin Spacey or Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. So ask yourself, when you're calling out somebody's hypocrisy, when you're calling out somebody's sins, when you're calling out people, What are your reasons for doing so? Because so often I see the reason people are calling out others isn't because they want everybody to be good and upstanding, but they want to tear somebody with power down. And I'm not here wagging a finger, I get it. It's that basic resentment that I think we all hold, that why do evil people get away with things? Why do they find success and why do good people suffer? It's an old question. But it's not always the case. Fame and fortune is overrated. And power is most certainly overrated and very corrupting. Not only to individual peoples, but to societies. And that's why I worry we have become a place of resentment and mob mentality. We are envious of power and suspicious of the power we hold over one another. And it's going to take a lot more than tearing each other down and calling out each other's hypocrisy to ease our resentment and to mollify our suspicions. 
There's one song that I constantly play for our time. It's really about a love affair gone wrong. It's a song, for some reason, if I was making a movie about America 2017, the song I would choose would be, well, this little ditty. We're caught in a trap. I can't walk out because I love you too much, baby. Elvis Presley. Suspicious mind. Why can't you see what you're doing to me when you don't believe a word I say? We can't go on together with suspicious. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Suspicion and resentment. Well, and it really is suspicion and resentment. Not actually hatred that drives most people in politics. I mean, we have hate mongers and so-called hate speech and hate groups and even hate maps provided by the SPLC here locally in Montgomery, Alabama. But almost no one, there are select few morons out there who claim hate is their motive. But when accused of hatred, the normal reaction is something like, oh my God, there you go again, you're so naive. You can't even imagine that anyone on earth can sincerely disagree with you without subscribing hatred to your opponents. Oh, everybody disagrees with you as some horrible villain or they're stupid. Well, actually, no. Full-blown hate is a rare motive. Rarely is that the case. But that hardly means that political actors are well-intentioned. The emotional spectrum is wide. Are people acting out of fear? Or again, suspicion? 
or an overbearing love, good intentions gone wrong. No, but again, the most common emotion I see and so many others see is resentment. Most people don't want to destroy their political opposition. But when they mentally think of the left or the right or whatever, they have this bitter taste in their mouth. And when they mentally picture their opponents defeated or just aggravated or embarrassed in public, Their normal reaction is what, in German, and I'm probably going to butcher this, but schadenfreude. Literally, that translates to shameful joy. Pleasure derived in seeing pain in others. I think we're seeing way too much of that right now. Now, don't honest disagreements exist? Yes, they do, and I hope... That's what I can do here on the radio airwaves. But it's difficult to have a good, honest disagreement. First, you have to listen to people and actually figure out what they believe in, if they even know. Then you have to study all the different sides of an issue. Cost-benefit analysis, weighing arguments and counter-arguments. And this becomes even more complicated when it isn't about a given policy, but it's about history and the identity of a people or faith. And the whole time you're doing this, you have to make sure not to make your disagreement with somebody personal. But... Disagreement based on resentment comes fairly naturally for us, rather unfortunately. Resentment requires almost no effort. It just comes to you. And once it fills your heart, it can swiftly answer all your questions and all your assumptions. Who's wrong? Wrong. Those people I resent Who's the bad guy? Who are the bad people? Those I resent. Who stands in the way of all good things? The people I resent, of course. Am I a bad person for hating them? Of course not, because I don't hate them. But I deeply resent them for slandering me as a hater. Hatred is rare, folks. There aren't that many haters in the world. But what I tend to think unifies the left is resentment of the market, of capitalism. And what tends to unify the right, and this is where I've been sitting for five, six years now, I can tell you what unifies the right is the resentment of the left. But it's slowly but surely becoming resentment of the elite, the establishment, the plutocracy, whatever the hell you want to call them. Indeed, every successful political group now and in history begins with some easy-to-resent enemy. It's like the gangs of New York all again, just not as violent and bloody. 
resentment of foreigners or the rich or corporations or Muslims or Jews or blacks or whites or Catholics or Protestants. So who do you resent? And is your resentment doing your thinking for you? Now, I'm trying not to be resentful of the resentful. Yes, I wake up on the wrong side of the bed sometimes, on the sinister side, and i just in a bad mood. Or maybe I wake up and I realize I've done something wrong today that I should have done better, or I shouldn't have done at all. Negative emotions, including resentment, do not require knowledge. They're a great substitute for knowledge, though. And in politics, that substitute, that resentment, is almost always ever-present. So, Dad, if you're listening, the resentment isn't just on the left. The resentment is on the right. Oh, the resentment is in almost every circle. Because that's what it's easy to talk about. That pain, that feeling you have. When you see somebody you think is wrong or standing in your way or making your life worse, seem to have everything while you are struggling. We can't let our emotions do our thinking for us. We have to somehow find a way to step back. Give ourselves room to breathe. And figure out what the hell is going on. Now, it looks like I have a phone call. Again, if you want to give me a call, this is Joey Clark here, 272-9228. News talk, you're on the air. Who's this? Hi, it's Debbie. Hey, Debbie, how are you? I'm fine, Joey. Um, you know, I had read an article oh, six months or more ago, and it was talking about the mystery index and how our mystery index today is almost equal, if not exceeding that during the Great Depression. I, I sat back and I, I was thinking, are you kidding me? Right. Um, that was a, a mind blower. I had no earthly idea, but they used things like um, ease of renting or buying homes, finding jobs, education, medical care. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a list of things that um, people are able to have or get and not. And that's what they judge the misery index on. Hmm. And I thought to myself, you know what? If we are that bad, of, uh, you know, the, in, the uh, misery index is that, that bad, that high, can you imagine how easy it would be to incite anger in people that are already just about to the point of breaking? Oh, right. And it's what goes on, I think, Almost every day in politics. Mm-hmm. You're, exactly my point. Here's the scapegoat, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they know this. There's evidence that this is what's going on. They know that we are at the brink. And it is amazing to me to see how we're being played every day. I've been talking years on the radio, different shows. I'm not going to mention, but you know that I have. Yeah. And I've said, we're being played. People, look. It's not 
that hard to see. If you step out of that box that you're looking through for just a minute and you take a broader view, you're going to realize that you have been played. Simple as that. When they get you angry, you're a victim. You're miserable. You feel like a victim for sure. And you might be. So what what would it take for you to kind of be pushed over the edge just a bit? Right. And who who knows? I mean, and it can be different for different people. Um, it, it's and it's also, I think people are starting to air their grievances, air their resentment mm-hmm. publicly. They mm-hmm. realize I now have a forum to do this. I'll have people run to my aid and you know sympathize, empathize with me, and I can tear mm-hmm. down. And then you get person. a gathering, mm-hmm. yeah. and the next thing you know, you have a mob if you're angry. Right. That's how it starts. Right there. Everybody gets in that bar, has a few drinks, and starts talking about how mad the boss made them. That, you know, mm-hmm. you, get the, you get the idea. But I agree with you on that. And I think this idea that um, the bank's being paid off, I, I, I like the way Trump's saying that he's not going to do the same thing. I had a feeling that we were just being suckered on all of that. And then they were talking about insurance companies wanting to pay off in order to get out of Obamacare. And Trump's coming out and saying, no, I don't think that's going to work either. So I'm hoping maybe things will shift just a bit. But I don't know. But I know we're being played on that stuff, too, because everything that's even being mentioned that might help the average Joe, like me and you, is being gunned down. Well, and I think it's also an expectations game. I think we're expecting mm-hmm. too much out of our presidents, too much out of our Congress. And well, so, president can't do it by himself, no oh, way. Absolutely not. In fact, I think some of our trouble is we've given the presidency that power to try to do it themselves, and it's led to some very bad outcomes and high expectations once again. Like, I've learned to lower my expectations a lot, and so mm-hmm. I, I don't find myself quite as disappointed, quite as cynical, quite as resentful, though I'm, the reason I'm talking about this tonight, Debbie, is because I've gone yes. through all these emotions. Right. And I think I've been resentful the most against partisans. Um, mm-hmm. Folks that yell at one another. Like, I, I swear, like, the folks that I know and love who were yelling about Obama for sometimes not justified, but often very justified reasons. I'm seeing the mm-hmm. folks yelling about Trump now, and it's like a mirror image. Like, right. maybe inverted, but uh, it it reminds me so much of we can't allow this resentment and this hatred to our thinking for us, but I think that's what's starting to happen, and I'm mm-hmm. hoping it doesn't ever end in, like, the movie I was watching yesterday, Gangs of New York, where you literally had the draft riots, or the uh-huh. Irish said, I'm fed up with this, I'm fed uh-huh. up with all your things, and that's, uh, as a Southern guy, it's amazing to read about that history in New York, where all these lynchings go on. Um, oh, I don't even want to think about it, but you're right. We have come a long way, a long way from where we were. We do not need to go back to that kind of mentality, thinking we're victims when it, we're nothing like we were. Right. I mean, uh, and, and, and I don't mean just whites or blacks. I mean, all of us. We have changed immensely as a nation. And I think those kind of things are being used, the, the history, uh, which should be teaching us what we don't want to repeat, so we need to know where we came from, 
But I think they're being used against us. And I, I believe all this resentment, like I said before, all this negativity, like you were saying, is leading us down some dark paths we don't need to follow. We need to come out as a group of people, have pride in ourselves again, like we should have always had pride in ourselves, know the direction we need to go in and do the best we can in getting there without trying to force everybody into certain molds. And that's what my problem is. I don't want to have to believe that we are forced into believing we've got to be this, this, and this. We've got to be either a Republican or we've got to be a Democrat. I'm an independent. Yeah. I'm not going to be forced into a side. Right. I'm not going to be forced into believing that the wealthy are terrible people, that we got to get all their money. Um, no, I, I, I'm not going to be forced into that. I'm not going to be forced into um, thinking that I'm less than what I am just because I'm poor. I'm very wealthy in my own way. Right. And it's a matter of attitude, I guess. And what you were saying before, the negativity... We have got to recognize it for what it is and and put it out of our minds because the misery index is up there and it's real easy to get caught up into that. Right. I guess I better stop talking and let you have your show again. Well, no, I really appreciate your call. Um, I really appreciate it, Debbie. Thank you so much. Have a good night. You too, Thanks. Thank you. And now, I want to end the show tonight, folks, with quoting from a gentleman named Leonard Reed from his book... Pattern for Revolt <laughs> from 1948. It was written in that year's presidential campaign. And he goes on to say, an all-authoritarian state marches on, abetted by an ever-increasing number of gravy-trained citizens. The people have no choice except between power-seeking personalities and groups, each offering a superior administration of government as master. Such a choice is no choice at all. The voice of expediency must mislead because it represents the rejection of moral principles for the hope of temporary gain. For a messianic figure. For a champion. A truly liberal party, a party that loves liberty, would have been asking, how can we liberate the individual from the tyranny of such a situation, from the tyranny of the state? Again, this was written in 1948. Transfer of power from one party to the other is important only if the ascending party has principles, which it is important to substitute for the principles of the party in power. Government should not be so expanded. Men in government, therefore, should be those who aim at making government as unnecessary as possible. In every field where arbitrary authority is imposed, we shall inquire how it may be removed and replaced by a reliance on the initiative and enterprise of individual citizens. We must give to the art of self-government it's American renaissance. And self-government doesn't mean voting every few years. It means running and taking charge of your own life. And if you have the wherewithal and the talent, helping others around you. The only way to guard freedom is to remove, to destroy unwarranted restrictions and coercions. Government should have only limited powers and functions. But opponents of freedom have preempted the language of freedom. Our plunderstorm economy arises from conviction on the part of millions of people across both parties that they have a right to share in the property of others. This is a wholly immoral notion. This group thirst for political plunder calls for an understanding of where personal rights end and infringement on the rights of others begins. 
In the hope of plundering more from others than others succeed in plundering from us, we have voted away the inestimable, inestimable benefits, the immeasurable benefits of which government and law were originally instituted. We founded our government on the premise that the individual citizen has certain inalienable rights and that the government and law should protect those rights. We should restore government and law to their proper functions, limit them as we originally intended they should be limited. This nation has legalized plunder. We seek prosperity by the fruitless process of picking each other's pockets. No man is competent enough to apply coercion justly and wisely to any responsible adult person. Given freedom of opportunity, protection from fraud, violence, and predation, we can and will look out for ourselves better than will any other person or any government agency. Government failures derive from their guarantee to meet human needs and their inability to meet the ever-growing demands and impossible responsibilities to which they thus expose themselves. The real reasons for most of the present and recent distress and error in the suppression of liberty, again, written in 1948, in the sabotaging of the free competitive economy, which alone produces general prosperity. Reestablishing a free economy is the only road to progress. By the repeal of those laws, rules, and regulations which impede it. The American philosophy of government is premised on our countrymen being free men. This is what our birth as human beings give us, gives us as a right to be. It is the object to which our Constitution commits us. Leonard Reed ends saying, I do not desire to reorganize the lives of other people under the pretext of doing them good. Turn your hopes from this place on the Potomac. It is the most unproductive spot in these United States. May your federal government no longer be condemned for what it plunders from some. And may it never have applause because of the loot it bestows on others. Again, words written by Leonard Reed in 1948. And he was a wise man. He must intuit, he foresaw the situation we find ourselves in today. So instead of being resentful towards one another and towards different groups, we should understand that what is making us so resentful is our reliance on power to do things we should be doing for ourselves and for others freely. We should understand that charity cannot come from government. Compassion and love cannot come from government. Courage and prudence, moderation cannot be forced upon people. And justice, well, it can't be held high when there are so many laws that everybody has broken some law here or there. When there are so many eyes, the eyes of the majority will on you all the time that nobody can ever make a mistake and be asking for forgiveness if they truly are sorry. Again, let's turn our eyes away from that swamp on the Potomac. Start looking to ourselves.
Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Joey Clark Radio Hour. I'll be back tomorrow, 6 to 7. Joey Clark.